The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here with Andrew Rawicki, the operations manager of Chevron's Mid-Continent Business Unit. Thank you so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. How are you today? Very wonderful. Fantastic. Before we start our interview, I want to ask everyone to help our show out, Permian Perspective. Thank you, everyone, by the way, for joining us. We're so excited about this new podcast. I would invite you to go onto iTunes and give us a review. I know there's not any there yet, but we're hoping that you will all help us out. Go on, give us a good review, and then we'll share next week all the wonderful things you're about to say about us. So thank you so much. Mr. Rawicki, we're going to start things off with you have been with Chevron for 35 years. We'll be retiring this summer, 35 and a half years. How did you get into the oil and gas business? Well, I actually was coming out of high school up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was thinking I was going to be a doctor. So I enrolled at Penn State, which I was always a big fan of Penn State. And I went up there and spent a couple of years in their pre-med program. After the second year, I realized I really wasn't thinking that I might, I couldn't see myself as being a doctor. I'd worked in restaurants all my life. So um, I was going to take a year off and continue to work at Pedro's Fine Mexican Food, horrifying my parents, of course. (laughs) And the summer after my sophomore year, when I was really just contemplating what direction I should go, I was taking sailing and anthropology and working at a couple of restaurants and boarding at a fraternity house at uh, Penn State. And a couple of uh, fraternity brothers came back at the end of their summer after having summer internships in the oil industry. And over a couple of beers on one evening, they said, hey, Rawicki, you should give this a shot. I said, I don't know anything about the industry, but I'll go talk to somebody. The uh, advisor I spoke with said, well, you'll have to stick around an extra year. It's going to take five years. And I'm thinking, well, this is pretty nice. I'm enjoying myself up here. So I stayed around the fifth year. Penn State won the national championship for the first time in football, which was, I I was not a player, but it was a great time to be up at Penn State. Exciting. And so I completed my education in uh, petroleum engineering, and that has got me into this industry. Wonderful. So after graduation, then was Chevron your first job? Was it a second? How did that go? So the oil industry's been a bit of a cyclic industry over time. If I would have graduated in 1982, the likelihood it would have been that I might have had multiple offers with oil companies of all types. Graduating in 1983, the story was quite different. Only seven out of 106 Penn State petroleum engineering graduates had job offers. Wow! I stayed up at Penn State for that summer. I was not one of the seven. I stayed up at Penn State for that summer. I waited for one of the seven to get established in New Orleans. He was working for an oil company there. And I went down and sponged off him. I lived on his couch for a while. I uh, waited tables at Chi-Chi's Fine Mexican Food in, uh, on the West Bank of New Orleans. And eventually, an employment agent took a little, uh, well, basically interviewed me. I committed to pay a quarter of my gross salary for a year to get an interview with uh, an oil company, which was Gulf Oil. And that's where I started. Gulf Oil hired me as a drilling engineer trainee. And I started in January of 1984. Gulf Oil 
subsequently was uh, well, T Boone Pickens was buying up all the shares of stock. I didn't. He had been doing it in 1983. I did not notice that, but uh, by the time I was uh, employed at at golf, it became evident that he was looking maybe to liquidate the company. Scratching my head, wondering if this was the best thing for me. <laughs> Do and, I really uh, want to work here? <laughs> you know, ultimately it worked beautifully. Chevron came in and acquired golf. It got uh, effectively October of '85, and. And I've been with Chevron ever since. And obviously it worked out great for it, you. It has been tremendous. You mentioned it's a cyclical business and it really is. How have you managed the highs and lows of oil and gas being, you know, seeing oil at maybe $8 a barrel and then seeing it 120 with- Yes. There were some, there was definitely some tough years shortly after the acquisition of Gulf. I remember I, w- I was in the, in the drilling uh, world for the first 18, 19 years of my career. And I remember a series of layoffs happening in 1986, a driller. I started out actually as part of that golf training program. I was a laborer and when working on the rigs, roused about roughneck, that was the, the golf engineering training program. And the driller on that company owned barge rig came into my office. No, he came into the office to talk to my boss, his wife sat in, in my office while he was talking to my boss and I didn't know at the time, but he was getting laid off. So it was, you know, a very personal connection. He came, you know, tail between the legs, you know, I had to explain to his wife, you know, he did not stop and talk to me about that, but you know, obviously it was, uh, it was very impactful, you know, being able to connect with people as humans, you know, understand the fact that, you know, in any industry, there's there's going to be uh, highs and lows. This particular one, yes, we have been on on a, on a cycle over and over. What it's really taught us as a company is don't go too crazy when prices are high. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're our our current CEO likes to talk about us winning in any environment, and mm-hmm. and any environment really means high or low oil price environment. And you don't go too crazy hiring when it's when things are great, so that you can weather the storm and and work on your efficiencies continually there's there's never a problem with being more efficient at what you do it helps you win so good advice absolutely now we are sitting here in the midland headquarters an amazing beautiful building here in midland texas what brought you here to west texas because i understand you were one of the first to occupy this building sure so in uh, may of 2016 i arrived here actually to fill one shoe of a longtime Midland-based employee, some of your listeners may know, Mitch Mamalitas. Mm-hmm. Mitch was what we called at the time Chevron's area manager for Midland and Delaware Basin. We were really starting to ramp up the development in both of those subregions of this Permian Basin, and Mitch was headed for a new role in the Gulf of Mexico. So I came in and took over just the Delaware Basin half, and my colleague Michelle Abatiyinbo took on Midland Basin. It was an incredible honor to replace half of Mitch and uh, very humbling to be part of uh, what became this incredible growth story that the Permian Basin has become. Because it really has grown. And you've been here a few years, so you've seen it from everything from traffic to not being able to get into a restaurant to uh, just the busyness and the buzz that you feel here. How has your experience been here in the Permian Basin? It's been tremendous. My wife and I, just our youngest son is is the only uh, child that still lives with us. He's uh, he came over here as a sophomore in high school. He's on the athletic side. He uh, fit right in to, at uh, 
one of the schools here, you, a lot of your listeners probably remember a book and a movie and a TV show, Friday Night Lights. Um, yes. you know, the, the craze of, of high school football is real. I remember before, before the first scrimmage of his sophomore year, he had just gotten some um, hardware removed out of his arm because he'd had some surgery a couple of years earlier, football injury. And he, <laughs> he was not going to be cleared by a doctor with x-rays until the morning of a scrimmage. And my wife was surprised to find out that the football coach had called the doctor, instead of calling us, called the doctor and rescheduled his appointment for the day earlier so that he could make sure he was on the bus. <laughs> That's how big football is here <laughs> yeah. in West Texas. Yes. yes. And, and, and at the time, he was just the kick, kick, right. just the kicker. <laughs> a great kicker at that. But yes. Well, that, that is a funny story. And that's so true because someone that doesn't live here in West Texas doesn't really get the football craze. Yeah. We have a stadium that can fit 30,000 fans for high school. Yes. <laughs> so it, it's been a lot of fun. The, so, you know, obviously a lot of the activities with the school, you know, the, the sports and have been tremendous. The community is so welcoming. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I first got here, a longtime Midlander and an author, Jimmy Patterson, gave both me and Michelle a book he wrote called A History of Character. It's an epic story of Midland. And mm-hmm. on the cover, there's a quote from George W. Bush, our 43rd president, saying Midland is the kind of place where you can show up with nothing, work hard, have a dream, and end up making something of yourself. And it's still happening today. I mean, the natives continue to welcome people like us that come to town ready to sit down next to them, work hard to solve problems, and prosper with them. That is so true. And for those of you who are not in West Texas and don't know Jimmy yet, he is a wealth of information. Go follow him on social media right now. Little Jimmy Patterson (laughs) plug. He is fantastic, great author, and it's just fun to read his writing. So I'm just so glad you shared that story with us. Uh, Tell me what you believe makes the Permian Basin so great. You know, like any petroleum play, it starts with the rocks. You know, there's lots of oil and gas in place, largely still in the source rocks that have fed the more conventional reservoirs for a century. You know, as has been widely publicized, industry knew that the oil and gas was there since the beginning of production. And it wasn't until the combination of horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing really came of age in the last decade or so that the companies have really come back to the Permian as a large part of, or in some cases, the only part of their business model. The economics of developing here are the best in the onshore U.S. The development lends itself to repeatable factory-like approaches where great efficiencies can be gained. And then the people, the people just like, like Jimmy Patterson, like all the people that work here, all the people that we run into just contribute to the greatness. It really is a great place to live. And you mentioned the people and the team members. What does Chevron do that you feel is different than maybe other companies to keep your team members? Because I know several people like yourself have been there for you know, 30 plus years, 20 plus years. What do you believe is the reason that Chevron does that? Yeah. Well, when, when you and I walked from the front desk back here to the little spot where we're doing our podcast, you could see some of the uh, signs that diversity and inclusion are, are important to us. An AIDS, AIDS quilt from around the world, you know, Asia, Eurasia, Africa, where Chevron has done so much for HIV, AIDS, tuberculosis, uh, health. We walked past this uh, incredible mural depicting, you know, the history of our people here, you know, doing oil field work. Our greatest asset is our people mm-hmm. and how effectively we work together. That's uh you know, so diversity and inclusion are 
it's a, a value for us. It's, it's, a, it's a core value of what we call the Chevron way. And they really kind of enable everything we do here. And, you know, we're diversity used to be the uh, before the Chevron way had a little bit of a revamp about four years ago. It, diversity was our value. And we thought we talked in terms of, hey, we want to get a lot of different people to the table. But we realized that the word inclusion is really the key. It's, um, you know, you get a bunch of different people to a prom and that's diversity. You get everybody dancing. That's that's inclusion. You know, so. The uh, it's, you know, diversity of ideas, making sure everybody feels welcome. Everybody feels like they're contributing. So, you know, our, the, our employee networks, you know, women's network, black employees network, you know, veterans network, Asian employee network, uh, Latin America's we call that the SOMOS, the XYZ generation network. You don't have to be a member of that demographic to be part of these networks, but they focus on, you know, helping out in our communities, helping out, you know, enriching folks around here in terms of, you know, understanding the culture. I'm actually the sponsor of the Black Employee Network for the Midland campus here. We bring in a lot of cultural events, you know, to our employees. We do, you know, pretty soon we'll be doing a, well, I guess it'll be about Halloween, Hallow Soul Cook-Off, you know, where people will come and, and uh, you know, just really get to experience different cultures. And, you know, our activity in the community, like, and Chevron's not alone here. I mean, there's a ton of, right. of companies that get involved in the, in the communities here. And that's, uh, ultimately, that's what it's all about. We're part of the community. We want everybody's boat to float, you know, higher. Right. And it is evident, definitely. We see Chevron everywhere here in not just the Permian, but a across the country when you travel. Let's talk a little oil and gas business uh, for a second. Where do you see activity? I know we all wish we had a crystal ball and we could say what it's going to do, but where do you see the activity going in the next 12 months? So, you know, investors have become very returns focused. So the days of operators borrowing a ton of money and out drilling cash flow has passed. So, you know, there's certainly a little bit of damp down activity out there for that one of that for that being one of the reasons activity in the Permians, though, is going to remain very strong. Efficient companies can make some money out here at the current price of oil and even a little bit lower. Some operators who didn't have access to pipelines to get their oil to a market slowed down recently. But we really see that pipeline capacity coming on and more of it coming on later in the year. So, uh, you know, activity is going to be strong. The price of oil does impact activity levels in our business, but, but operators like the flexibility that the Permian style of business allows because, it, you know, you can ramp up or slow down relatively quickly in comparison to, you know, building a multi-billion dollar facility in deep water Gulf of Mexico or Brazil or Nigeria. So Permian's going to stay hot. What do you see being the biggest challenges for growth in 2019? Well, it's, it's been a challenge for a couple of years, and it's going to continue to be a, a significant challenge is getting enough skilled workers. There's a, uh, a consortium that's Chevron's a founding member of the Permian Strategic Partnership. All the things that they're working on with communities, you know, are all the bottlenecks that really uh, impact our ability to get skilled workers into our offices and into the field, you know, affordable housing, mm -hmm. quality schools for their children, accessible medical care, and an assurance that their families and they are going to be safe on the roads. Mm -hmm. So that's 
all tied together. And I'm glad you mentioned that because someone that hasn't been to West Texas, they maybe don't realize that that is a struggle that we all deal with here. The traffic, we kind of joke because we're, we don't have California traffic or big city traffic, but it's more the safety on the roads and really fitting all of these newcomers into the area, you know, onto one road at one time and keeping everybody safe. Absolutely. And that's what we've seen. We've seen just so many more cars on the road and housing. You mentioned housing. You can talk to a realtor and they can (laughs) they, they could give you an earful. But that's what's so wonderful about companies like yourself. Chevron joining the strategic partnership is you all are trying to do something to improve that. And I love that, that you're a part of that. We are very proud of that as well, and we are uh, really uh, looking forward to great things out of that in really in concert, you know, being able to be a seed, an accelerator, a catalyst for working with our communities and, and, and making this work for everybody. All right. Let's talk a little bit about a hot topic and how important it is for oil and gas companies to support the community in the basin. I know you're doing that with Chevron with this strategic partnership, but how can, how can residents not only here, but across the globe, how can they do that as well? Yeah. Well, you know, supporting the community for my company is, is baked into our DNA. Another thing that we passed on the way, just the 50 feet that we walked was the three categories of where we'd like to make social investment, you know, economic development, health, and education you know it's the heart of the way we work is is working within our communities again you know fundamental tenets of that chevron way that i spoke about our vision is to be the global energy company most admired for its people partnership and performance so partnership with our communities is incredibly important anywhere Mm -hmm. we work you asked about the world for a few years i was fortunate enough to be stationed in warsaw poland with my wife and youngest son just like we are here Mm -hmm. We were just getting started as a company exploring for natural gas in rural southeastern Poland. And some activists had got there first and whipped the public into a bit of a frenzy about this big, bad old American oil company coming in to take their resources and spoil their standard of living. I had just read James Mishner's historical novel on Poland, titled Poland, and he had spoken about this town called Zamosk which for nearly a thousand years had fought off invaders, the Turks, the Mongols, the Swedes, the Prussians, you know. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know it, my first town hall experience was in that very town, the walled city of Zamosk. We wanted to drill a well there. That's and, crazy. That and, is, <laughs> isn't and, it amazing how the world works? It is amazing. How, yeah. and, you know, so I, I, I had come to tell these folks through an interpreter, those translators are remarkable. <laughs> I came to tell them how we were going to do that, how we we're going to drill a well. And, you know, we were basically to them, we were one more invader. Right. And that first meeting didn't go so well. <laughs> I, I, uh, I learned, uh, you know, a lot in that first meeting with them. But over time and with tried and true ways of working with people, you know, including listening, addressing their concerns, taking them to see our operations in neighboring communities, pledging and then coming through with jobs, keeping the operations safe and clean. You know, we were able to win those people over. And the people of the Permian Basin, towns like Midland, Odessa, Carlsbad, they may not see us as invaders, but they expect and deserve incredible respect from our industry. And and they really give us the license to operate. They're, you know, we need to treat them right. And, and why wouldn't we? We live in these communities too. Right. 
Tell me the town name again. I'm, Zamosh. Zamosh. I am, I am Googling Zamosh as soon as we're done with this podcast. Oh, what a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Now, sure. I know you've spent many years with Chevron, and I want to know the one thing that you have learned the most through this experience that you will take with you the rest of your life. Sure. Humility. You know, there's, there are always going to be people who know more than you and have seen more than you. And you need to humbly accept that you can learn from anyone. When I started in this industry, as I mentioned, it was a roustabout on a drilling rig as part of a, that training program. Hot, sweaty, 1984, Louisiana Bayou. I had never worked so hard in my life. I got done with that phase of my training. I wasn't really sure what I had learned. But I look back now and I realize that I learned both humility. Uh, you know, I didn't know anything coming out of school about drilling or laboring. I certainly didn't know how to swing a 16-pound sledgehammer, but I got <laughs> kind of good at that. Well, maybe not that good. And then also, in addition to humility, empathy. You know, the ability for me in a much later years to put myself in those hardworking folks' shoes. And pretty important life lessons. Uh, 30 years on, 35 years on, experts are calling that, humil that combination of humility and empathy a fancy name, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And uh, it gets a lot of airplay now. So. EI, EI. You hear EI all the time. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes. But it's tr so true. And it's relationships, I think. And that's what I've learned just listening to you talk today about how what you know, not only you as a, a business leader, but Chevron in general, it's all about the relationship with your team, with, with the community, with your customers. What would you say to someone that is maybe just now starting a business in West Texas? Because as you know, a lot of people, when, when oil is high, everyone is coming to West Texas and they're starting these new businesses and it's exciting. And it's a, there's, like I said, that buzz here in the basin. What advice would you give to someone that is starting out in this business? Yeah. I guess I could give advice in terms of like a, of a tool and then maybe of kind of a, a philosophy, you know, everybody's got their smartphones and their technology and all that is extremely important. But I think the most may sound quaint, but the most important tool maybe underutilized is simple, concise communication. And we, we do it in all kinds of different media now. My first podcast ever. Me um, too. <laughs> yeah, this is going well. But the, uh, you know, the ability to communicate reasons for making a decision or the outcome of an action or the need for more or different resources or the business case for change, you know, that's still the most used and most important tool. And when we do that well, our workforce is engaged. We get that discretionary effort that's super, super critical to win in this competitive environment. And then philosophically, you know, this business, it has been cyclical. It has been maligned by some in the past. I think the what I would give advice to somebody that's on this journey, you know, beginning this journey perhaps, is always keep in mind that the business of developing and providing affordable, clean, abundant energy is enabling human progress. It's we improve lives and power the world. You know, mm -hmm. one billion people don't have electricity in this world. 3 billion burn biomass or animal dung to heat their homes or cook, and they're breathing those fumes. And we're adding another 1.5 billion people, mostly in developing countries, by 2040. This industry and all industries are going to need to help power that world, mm -hmm. getting people out of poverty and to the standard of living that we in the West have come to expect. Wow. Those are some startling statistics when you hear it. And it really does. We have such a worldwide impact that I don't think we think about on the day-to-day. -day we, should, we should appreciate it. And that. we should appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me, now we're going to switch a little bit more 
personal. What is your favorite book or podcast that uh, that maybe inspires you? So for a period of time, I slipped out of the kind of the operations realm. I was in drilling and then uh, in field operations, and I went to a a role in our corp strategy department in San Ramon, our, our headquarters in San Ramon. And I lived in San Jose and that 46 mile trek every day, I would plug in audiobooks, you know, to, to learn a little bit more about the, the economics and such. And, and the age of turbulence was a tremendous book by Greenspan, um, Freakonomics, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. those, those, those books were tremendous. I'm really enjoying a book right now, Team of Teams, Stanley McChrystal. It's actually not a podcast or a, it's old school. It's a book. <laughs> it, <laughs> Which you, sometimes it's nice to just yeah, have old school, right? That, that's, that's right. It's tremendous. It's It speaks of his experiences in Iraq after the fall of Saddam Hussein, figuring we're going to eradicate Al-Qaeda and, and the way that, you know, the American military had to think and work differently and you know, it impacts our world. You know, we, you know, some of the, the messages that really come through in the early part of that book, I'm not completed yet, but, uh, you know, the, the need to bust down the walls of silos, knock out the floors of hierarchy so that people down below can get all the transparent data they need and, and make decisions at the right level. That's a tremendous book. And I look forward to finishing that in, Sounds the, in good. the coming weeks. Uh, yeah. Yes. I want to add that one to my book list. Okay. <laughs> How about quotes? I'm a big quote girl, love quotes. I could probably recite about 20 million of my favorite. <laughs> Do you have a favorite quote oh, or gosh. something you live by that you want to share with everyone? You know, yeah, I think uh, I'm a big fan of uh, St. Pope John Paul II. When he first took over as Pope uh, many years back, he told the faithful, be not afraid. And, you know, that's, that's something I just like to live by and uh, let my kids, you know, delve out there in, in a controlled manner, right. but be not afraid, you know, so. I love that. Be not afraid to try some things. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Finally, is there anything when you found out you were going to do a podcast and you thought, oh, I want, I want everyone to know this information that you wanted to get out that maybe we haven't covered today that you just wanted to share with our listeners? Okay. okay. So maybe I'll, uh, yeah, sure. I could do that. So we have six children. My oldest three boys, one has become an attorney, a second is a uh, seminarian, so he's in formation to become a, a Roman Catholic priest. And the third one uh, is a resident on his way to become a doctor. So my, my younger daughter, the youngest of my daughters, once said, oh, it's a joke. There's a doctor and a lawyer and a priest walk into a bar. Oh, it's just the raw wikis. And so what I'll finish <laughs> that story funny. now. I'll finish it now because, <laughs> interestingly enough, my older daughter married a fellow who is doing tremendously at brewing beer. So, in fact... Our family now has that bar that the doctor, lawyer, and priest could walk into. Celestial Beer Works. I'll give it a plug. In, there you da- go. in Dallas, Texas. Why not? It's, Why not? Uh, it's doing beautifully. Makes a great New England style IPA and, and any other kind of beer you like. So, uh, yeah. So that's. Uh, I love that. That's a great story. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. You have deserved this retirement you're about to receive, and we appreciate you sharing all of this information with us today. So if someone wanted to reach out to you on social media or on the internet, how can we reach Chevron? Chevron Permian on Facebook. Facebook, absolutely. It's a way that I could see it. Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much again for sharing with us today. We really appreciate you. This has been wonderful to get to know 
one of the leaders in Chevron, what makes you tick and how you've worked this business for so many years. And it's very inspirational to all of us that are uh, maybe either just starting or in the middle of it. So thank you again for sharing all of your expertise. I want to sign off today by thanking our listeners for joining us. That concludes our episode of Permian Perspective, the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian Basin. Just remember, always dream big and believe in yourself and you make it a great day. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.